Hello and welcome to the second episode of Booksmart Podcast. I'm Laura Kersop and I'm here with Chris Fellingham. Hello. We made it to the second episode. Woo! Um, today we're going to be talking about augmented reality and virtual reality. The podcast is going to be in three parts. We're going to introduce you to what both of those things are and who is operating in the space. Then we're going to talk about education and VR and AR. And then we've got an interview with Ed Barton, who works in virtual reality and has just created a really cool augmented reality product. So Chris, let's get straight into it. What is VR and how is it different from AR? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, So virtual reality is, kind of as the name suggests, a separate reality from the one that we exist in. Uh, It's meant to be immersive and it's meant to be total so that you feel you're in this virtual world, which is why when you see it, you see these big headsets on people so that it covers all their vision. Augmented reality is a bit different. It builds on existing reality by kind of adding an extra layer to it. Um, A good example I read about this was if you've seen Terminator, when he's going through uh, Terminator 1 and he seeks his victims, he gets little information scans on his environment. And that's kind of the early stage of augmented reality, although hopefully not with the extinction of humans. (laughs) One would hope not. So why is VR and AR a big thing at the moment? Um, Well, the short answer is basically tech innovation across a number of areas that are required to make VR and AR a reality, uh, along with the lowering of cost, have kind of come together at the same time to make it feasible. Historically, virtual reality in particular suffered a lot of problems like people got headaches, the graphics were poor, it could attract the head movement so that your optical display moved with you. Um, now that's kind of a lot of that's been resolved as kind of sensors and graphics and computing power has all made it possible to fit within a headset um, and that's why we're seeing it arrive uh, particularly at a good cost or sort of just about an affordable consumer cost. With AR it's a similar story, uh, it's pretty much about the proliferation of powerful smartphones um, and that's why you're seeing sort of Google Cardboard being one of the kind of cheap options, which kind of does both, or even Google Glasses, even even though they weren't successful. So who are the main players in the market? Which companies are getting in on this? I think you need to think of the market as two markets, really, hardware and software. On the hardware side, it's all the usual companies you'd expect. Facebook with the Oculus Rift, Google with both the Google Cardboard Kit, but also the Google Daydream, which is their more high-end option. Microsoft have the HoloLens, and HTC have their Vive. There's also other platforms like Sony and Samsung. But actually, this is a huge growth market, and what we expect is Goldman Sachs think it'd be worth 60 billion by 2025, and most of the growth will probably be more software side rather than hardware side, so that's usually how these things work. And we expect a lot of companies to get involved in that. Initially, we've already seen Netflix trying to shoot sort of 3D films, uh, New York Times is thinking about 3D offerings, and you're also going to get companies like Nintendo who have just announced their involvement, along with Valve, who made Half-Life and other big games. So expect a massive shift towards software companies starting to capture onto this. Once you've got the kit, what can you actually do with it at the moment? Um, at the moment, you're probably primarily looking at games and films. These are the main two, and that's partly because it's... Uh, 
game companies are a big driver of a lot of the VR kit and historically have been, um, but also because the market there is quite clear and they've been trying to push this for a while. So for example, you've got Pokemon Go for the augmented reality market, which already has over half a billion downloads and is very popular. And you would imagine that 2017 we'll see more game developers try and kind of capture on the popularity of Pokemon Go and develop their own products. For virtual reality, it's a similar story. Games make up a big part of it. But we're also seeing films coming through. Uh, and sort of film producers are only just starting to grapple with how you actually shoot a real VR film. It's not as straightforward as you think. It requires different cameras, a different idea of how the user interacts with the environment that they're now uh, watching. Um, so I think those are the, the two primary ones. Probably latterly we'll see medical and educational applications. Medical, particularly inside the augmented reality, there's this idea of a kind of the smart operating room, but that'll probably be quite a long time before that becomes a reality. And in education, I think the obstacle will still be the cost. So at the moment, how widespread is access to this kind of technology? Is it just rich people in the West that have access to it? That's a good question, because actually it varies a lot by location. In the West... Most people are assuming that VR will be purchased on a consumer level, i.e. per person. And given the price point, you're probably looking in the tens of millions for who could buy that, because it's, you know generally you're probably going to look at one of the bigger kits that start at £350. Um, but actually, China presents a different model of this. Because China kind of developed with a strong kind of internet cafe culture, uh, they're actually being purchased by internet cafes. So actually... Millions and millions of Chinese are already using VR for lots of different purposes already. And that way it's going to be a lot more mass market. The HTC are actually looking at China as their first entrant for their products, simply because of this popularity. With augmented reality, it's a bit more obvious. You already have access to it on your smartphone. Pokemon Go proves just how many people can use it. So that's pretty much everyone with a smartphone. So Laura, as someone that was formerly a teacher and now works in edtech, let's get your thoughts on how virtual reality is used in schools. Are schools using virtual reality yet? I wouldn't say that adoption is widespread by any stretch of the imagination. There are some schools and teachers trying it out and a number of companies that are trying to flog hardware and software to schools. Um, we've already spoken about Google, but they're a big player in the education VR market. They launched Expeditions in September 2015 and they aim for this to be a way to take students on virtual reality field trips by using Google Cardboard and their Expeditions app. Six months ago, they were saying over a million students in 11 countries have gone on these virtual trips, which is a fair amount, but there are about 8 million students just in the UK. So I reckon most kids haven't yet had their first VR experience inside or outside of school. And there are other companies like Nearpod who are marketing to schools. And I'm kind of looking forward to seeing if there is more of a VR presence at the EdTech conference bet this year. What are the barriers to virtual reality being more widely adopted at schools? Well, there's kind of three reasons. First and foremost, as ever, school budgets. So as we know, school budgets are stretched. Oculus, PlayStation VR and other brands are still really expensive. And even though Google Cardboard is cheap, it relies on having smartphones, um, which leads to the second reason it hasn't been widely adopted, which is smartphone availability. 
There just aren't smartphones in primary schools. They mostly have desktop PCs and tablets. And the smartphones in secondary schools are mostly inside students' pockets or bags. Um, Some schools have forward-thinking policies that allow students to use their phones for learning, but in most cases they are banned or must remain out of sight. Um, I think the third reason is just around the proposition to schools. As you know, the curriculum is weighted towards English and maths uh, or EBAC subjects in secondary, so other subjects have to really shout to get a look in. And I'm not sure the case has been made for VR as being useful in these subjects, though the application subjects like history, geography and all that seems pretty palpable to me, uh, especially if you think about expeditions you could go on. I don't know if the teachers that teach these subjects have been reached and convinced about VR yet, I think it's more likely that computing and ICT teachers will have heard about it, um, but their focus is on coding and getting kids to create stuff. So where does VR fit into that? So is virtual reality a nice to have or does it actually enhance children's learning? Is virtual reality better than a school trip? Well, I think school trips are really important. When I was teaching, we made sure we had one for each topic to bring learning to life and give it context. And I can see how VR can really add to that. So, for example, in history, VR might give you the opportunity to visit somewhere brought to life in a way that just seeing ruins can't. You know, you could go and see why the Colosseum was the focal point of Roman life by seeing the crowds watch the games inside of it in virtual reality. Or in science, you could travel inside the International Space Station. Obviously, through VR, you can actually do more trips as well because you don't have the cost of travel. And I think at the moment, the technology alone has a certain wow factor as it's quite new. Um, I can see how just using this in class could have a really exciting impact on students and lead to exciting opportunities that they'll remember. It's a really good hook. So, Laura, three years time, will we see virtual reality in British primary schools? Yeah, I think in three years' time, a lot of children in our primary schools will have had a VR experience. Every episode, Booksmart aims to interview someone working in edtech. This week, we sent Laura to interview Ed Barton of Curiscope, a VR company that makes educational VR experiences. Here's what they chatted about. So can we start off with a basic question? Who are you and what do you do? Yes. Um, So my name is Ed Barton and I'm the CEO of a company called Curoscope. And we create learning experiences in VR and AR to engage kids with subjects. Can you describe the latest project that you embarked upon? (laughs) Yes, I can. Um, So it is a T-shirt. but obviously it has a little hidden trick up its sleeve because it's VR and AR. Um, And when you point a phone or VR headset at the T-shirt, you can effectively see inside someone's body, so it animates the anatomy on top of them. And there's an educational element to this product, right? So what sort of interactions can people have within the app? Yes, so you can touch on various parts of the body you can see the heart beating you can go inside virtual reality experiences inside the body so we've got one inside the lungs one inside the heart and one inside the intestines and you can see information about each of these parts we have a virtual guide that guides you through it and then ultimately you're just connecting with the body in a different way because it's actually on a person 
Cool. Um, why was it important that you make an educational product rather than one that was just purely for entertainment purposes? Yeah, so my, my background's in the kind of entertainment space, I guess. Um, and I don't know, I just didn't really see that much value in that. And when VR and AR came about, we could carry on doing marketing, advertising type work, or we could actually do something that makes a difference. And I think AR and VR was always this really, I guess, kind of magical vehicle into a different world. And we think that's a really interesting way to engage kids more than anything else, um, because you're using tech in a very different way, and that's what speaks to them. And what reactions do they have when they use it for the first time? Um, so it's mostly, like... Mouths wide open, just completely speechless for, um, yeah, minutes at a time. We were at an event in um, April, and I remember we had this one kid who literally just had the app open for four minutes, and he was just like, uh, my mouth, my mouth's open at the moment. <laughs> um, literally just had his mouth open, he was just like, I can't believe this kind of thing exists, because to them it's like, it's magic, like, that you can turn a t-shirt just pointing a camera at a t-shirt and it's believable enough that you can actually see inside the body we've had like proper doctors think that we've developed some amazing new technology that actually sees inside the body it's that convincing <laughs> wow and do you find it um at the moment and within the last year when children especially are experiencing this they're experiencing ar and vr for the first time it's still not something that they widely recognize or have lots of experience of yeah i think there's been a noticeable difference throughout 2016 from the start of 2016 to now i think a lot of people know what vr is now whereas maybe they didn't at the start of 2016 but certainly a lot of people are experiencing it for the first time still. Um, so adoption numbers in the world, I think Samsung today announced that they've shipped 5 million Gear VR headsets, but compared to the amount of phones that are out in existence, like there's nothing. Yeah. And what reactions are you having from parents of children? Are they similarly amazed, or has there been any mixed reactions at all? Yeah, I think... It's almost been like an education thing with parents. Most parents see VR and AR as these future technologies that perhaps don't exist yet, and if they do, they'd be wildly expensive. So the biggest reaction I've had is when I tell parents that this is around £20 and it's a free app and it works on your existing devices, they're just, again, like gobsmacked that this is actually achievable at that level. Um, I think that's really exciting that this is super new technology but it's not the price of some amazing kind of like the hololens for example is three thousand dollars this is just 20 and how are you able to produce it for 20 dollars like what kind of uh uh development process is there and what kind of resources go into making something like what you've made yeah so obviously there is a cost to the t-shirt but we were very keen to make the app free so it was as seamless as possible we didn't want people to buy two separate things we wanted to be able to share the experience as well and use it on multiple devices um there is a big development cost into things like this vr and ar are expensive they're very hard to run on the right level of phones you want to make it as on all phones rather than just phones that have been released in the last six months um and for us it was also very important that the app was anatomically correct and that the heart 
animating looked like a real heart. So we actually had a heart animator in for a week or two, animating each different sequence of the heart. And we thought we thought that was really important. We thought it was very important that it wasn't just a gimmick, but actually what you were looking at was, in a way, better than anything else that's out there because in university you might have a cadaver, but they're dead. Um, and in school you might have one of those plastic bodies that you pull out the organs of, or you might have a book. But this is almost like opening a window into the body as weird and as gruesome as that is. And have you been able to engage much with the teacher community and what do they seem to think about it? Yeah, I mean, we've not done any specific kind of outreach and maybe the way that traditional companies might. But one of the really interesting things for us has just been the inbound interest that we've had from teachers. So I've had had a meeting the other week with someone who was quite a high-up investor and he had a teacher come to him and say, you've got to meet with Curoscope because we've got this virtuality in our school and it's just doing amazing things. It's a really great product. And that's what's been really interesting. It's been the teachers who have just seen us online and have been willing to buy one or two t-shirts but then are coming back and introducing us to more people in the community or buying it for their entire schools like feedback's been amazing it's really nice seeing that positive feedback every day um so uh let's zoom out a little bit and think about the vr and ar landscape Mm -hmm. so what do you think are the most exciting developments that are happening round about now Yeah, I think the most exciting developments are that it's going to become something that's a little bit less um, like exclusive in the sense that you're putting a headset on and you're detaching from the world. I would like to see something that crosses that boundary a little bit so it's actually AR and VR on the same product. So you're not... I think one of the problems with kids is going to be we don't want to isolate them in VR. We want this to be a really enriching experience that makes them engage with the world. So I'm really excited to see it be cheaper and better and smaller. I'm very excited by this coming into mobile level as well. I'm not... Like, the headsets that cost $1,000 plus are obviously for a geeky person like myself very exciting, but really where it's actually ultimately exciting is where this is just another tool like a mobile phone or an iPad or whatever is there anything you think we need to be careful about yeah so i think the thing to be careful of is that vr doesn't become this isolation device it doesn't become it would be a shame for it to be used in the same way as say a playstation in the sense that you just go into a vr world and live there for six hours at a time on your own i think that is very dangerous because the virtual world can at times feel incredibly real and I think for a early stage child mixing reality in that way is controversial and quite potentially problematic Um, so I think we need to use VR responsibly and we need to use it in personally I believe bite-sized moments I think it should be an engagement tool we we shouldn't be teaching 30 kids all in VR headsets for days on end it should be there to serve its purpose to enrich an experience to engage kids not to entirely replace the curriculum I think that 
doesn't make sense, but it is a useful tool in the context of everything else. Mm. And how do you think we make the most of the opportunities that uh, it might bring in terms of social learning and learning together? Mm-hmm. Is there anyone that's really cracked that? So I think social learning in VR is something that nobody's really doing very well yet. I think what Google Expeditions are doing, synchronising the phones, is exciting. I think one of the big things is just going to be not putting people in headsets for so long and actually getting them to go out and engage with the real world. We don't want people to go into our experiences and then not engage with the real world. We want that to change how they think about the real world. Um, So yeah, I think it's a matter of perspective, but I'm very excited by the progression of this technology because we're going to start to get to a point where you can start to have social experiences. You can actually go on virtual journeys to virtual worlds together with friends, and I think that makes so much more sense than it does to go on your own. Um, Magic School Bus is like my favourite reference for what it should be like. It should be about like a field trip in a world that you potentially couldn't imagine or a world that you definitely couldn't get to normally. In three years' time, what do you think the VR and AR world will be like? Mm -hmm. Um, And is that different from what you hope it will be like? Yeah, so I think at the moment everyone's like, this is going to be the year of VR, like, 2015 was apparently the year of VR when we started. I don't think it was. 2016 was apparently the year of VR. 2017 maybe will be. I think 2020 in like three years' time will probably be the point at which we see a lot of this reality come down to a more consumer level. At the moment, headsets are very expensive. It's fairly niche. So there's not a lot of stuff out in there. I think three years is just going to be about seeing hopefully everything that people are saying about VR at the moment actually reach a kind of mass market point where schools would be very willing to adopt it en masse because at the moment it is very selective schools that will actually be interested in it. For people listening to this podcast, what are kind of two or three things that you think they should go and check out? Yes, all, all our stuff. <laughs> um, I'm, I mean, I think you should check out our Great White Shark experience because I think that's... I, I would say this, but I think it's one of the best examples of VR engagement. I think, I don't know, I feel like what Google Expeditions are doing is quite interesting. I think Natural History Museum are doing quite interesting stuff in this space. Um, honestly, I think the most exciting thing about VR is trying as much as possible because that's really what that's opening up. The whole idea of VR for me is that it makes an experience as accessible as possible before you it's quite hard to have an experience in another place. So I think it's just about trying as many things as possible and then seeing what is exciting and interesting to you. And where can people find you on the internet, you personally and your company? Yes. Um, I am a little bit on Twitter, but probably not enough. Um, And I am at ed underscore Barton, B-A-R-T-O-N. And Curoscope is curoscope.com. And that is C-U-R-I-S-C-O-P-E dot com. Um, There you go. Great. Thank you for coming in today, Ed. Thank you. (laughs) 
And that's the end of this episode, episode two. If you want to follow us on Twitter, we've got a new Twitter. It's at BooksmartUK. Follow us. We're going to tweet loads of really funny things. And you can now download our podcasts in iTunes or your favourite podcast app. And we're still going to be putting them up on SoundCloud. So that's soundcloud.com forward slash Podcast. We'll see you in February for episode three. Bye!